Hello and welcome to the download. Uh, today we are joined by our favorite Canadian equity guy, Scott Lizakowski, head of Canadian equity at Phillips Hager and North Investments in Vancouver. Scott, we haven't had you on for a while. You've been uh, you've been world traveling. Uh, thanks, Dave. Yeah, I would say world traveling, but uh, yeah, have been back out on on the road. It's good to be good to be able to do the uh, the client events in person. Haven't done those in a while. I, I, I was reminded about how um, you know uninterested I am in business travel. That's that's one of my least favorite things. It's been nice to be to be at home, but it was good to get back out on the road and 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 see people in person and do some group events, which we haven't been able to do for a while. Yeah. Did you did you find some good coffee? I I did. Although I was kind of surprised at that how uh, how hard it is to get a a decent cup of coffee near the uh, the Toronto office. So I, a couple of good coffee shops. They open at nine thirty a.m. But I did, I did find. Uh, I got a hot tip from Stu Kedwell, so he's more than just a stock picker. He he sent me to a, a a place near the Toronto office, which was quite good. Yeah, downtown Toronto is is one of the tougher coffee places uh, for the types of coffee that that we like uh, in in the country. The uh, the power of the uh, of the big brand in the Toronto market is tough, but. Um, but we're going to stay home with the investment conversation today, and we haven't really checked in. I, I know one of the things that I, that I recall uh, from from a podcast that we taped early in the year, I, I think back in January, was you highlighted how 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 low the volatility was in the Canadian market last year. One of the, one of the lowest volatility years on record. It was also a very strong year from a performance standpoint. And one of the things that you talked about was, you know, typically these low volatility years are followed by years where there's significantly more volatility. Couldn't have been more prescient in, in terms of, of, of looking forward in terms of what happened. But m maybe you, you've had a ton of success this year in, in terms of managing money in Canada. Why don't you walk through the year because it's been kind of a tale of two halves and mm -hmm. there's some maybe some misunderstanding of, of, you know, the Canadian market's done pretty well, but not as much recently. Why don't you talk about sure. where we've been through through this year as you see it? Yeah, you're right, Dave. The, the, uh, you're referring to one of our favorite uh, slides that we were sharing with some uh, clients when we were out on the road last uh, couple of weeks is that the um, 2021 was really a, a lucky year for us because we had uh, you know a north of 20 percent return for the tsx and and really didn't have a lot of volatility throughout the year the the one thing that's sort of interesting to note is that on average the intra-year volatility for the tsx is 15 percent. so from at some point during the year you're going to get an event that takes you kind of from peak to trough down uh 10 or 15 percent. so that's something to keep in mind as we go through volatile periods and that, that that is somewhat normal. It doesn't feel great at the time. Uh, 2021 was quite different. We only had a 6% drawdown from peak to trough. So uh, we did look at the numbers. Uh, you know, I, I like to do the, the forward looking after these types of events and, and the next year uh, performance um, is sort of not as great, you know, where you have, uh, kind of the average forward year performance is about 4% or just under and the intra year drawdown is kind of close to 20%. And that's, that's sort of playing out this year. And this year, you're right, has been sort of an interesting, uh, interesting year. 
where you have, you know, I kind of call it the tale of two markets because if you if you just pull up the year to date numbers, the TSX looks looks pretty good. It's down twelve percent, which doesn't feel great. But when you compare it to the S and P five hundred or the Nasdaq that are down kind of twenty thirty percent, um, the TSX does look look like a, a relative outperformer. But really, that's sort of come in two parts. You know, if you think about the period, and I kind of use June, uh, it's probably, there's probably a more specific date around a Fed announcement around mid-June. But if we just go back to the beginning of June, the TSX is down 10%. And, and that sort of lockstep with what we would have seen from, from the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. So the first half of the year, we sort of got the benefit of having that commodity exposure um, you know, a, a very cyclical market. The energy sector did incredibly well, but we've sort of given uh, some of that back in the, in the second half of the year. Um, so when I think about, you know, where are we now, it's, um, you know, it, it's a bit challenging because while we have seen, you know, the, the, the TSX correct, um, you know, over the last couple of months, uh, the risk reward has gotten better, but we're still, you know, there's still some risk to the downside. And, and the things, you know, the sort of the features of the Canadian market that sort of helped us at the beginning of the year may kind of cost us in the back end of the, back end of the year. So some of those cyclical exposures, commodities, energy um, were very helpful to start the year. But if we if we are going to go down the path of a recession or some economic slowdown, you know, I, I would I would expect and history would tell us that those sectors, commodities, energy, uh, those will get impacted. And so there's so there's that right you know the, the cyclical exposure actually could could fare negatively as we as we move through uh, an economic slowdown. Uh, I would say the other thing that sort of pops up is that if you just look at the valuation of the TSX, it, it, it appears to be quite cheap. And we've shown a chart, a chart in the past or talked about it on this podcast that you know the TSX does you know it trades at a fairly significant discount to the U.S. and that that still holds true. Um, we did say that, you know, when we're at these sort of extremes, you know, we're, you know, we're at the beginning of the year, we're close to a two standard deviation discount, which if you're typically a one standard deviation discount, the forward returns for the TSX are kind of, uh, on average, kind of in the six, seven, and maybe even 800 basis point, eight, 8% of relative outperformance, which we've seen, we've seen that already. Yes. Um, but I think there's some risk to that that valuation, you know, the, if you looked at forward earnings, the TSX, I think would trade at maybe 12 times earnings, 11, 12 times earnings, which looks yeah. pretty cheap, but I think there's some risk to the earnings. So the, 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 the P part of the PE multiple is, has come down, but the E has yet to come down. And I think that's been talked about quite a bit in the U S and the U S the estimates for the S and P 500 are, are coming down, particularly when you look at 2023. But for Canada, they really haven't moved. And there's sort of two pieces. Uh, one, you know, the big drivers of the Canadian earnings, uh, TSX earnings are energy and financials. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at the, the energy uh, estimates for, for energy stocks, they've actually, over the last three months, have actually kind of gone up. Uh, in the last maybe week or so, we started seeing them come down. But the, the consensus, you know, the, the analysts are using sort of a, an oil price that's that's well north of where whether you're looking at spot or the futures curve is well north of that. They typically chase the commodity price on the way up, and then sure. they'll be forced to chase it on the way back down. So they they've taken their numbers down slightly, but they're still using sort of ninety to a hundred dollar oil for next year. 
So that's actually really driven the earnings forecast higher. And then for the financials, the banks, um, you know, bank stocks have sort of come down with recession and, and credit concerns. But the estimates really haven't moved because, you know, the, the impact of higher interest rates far outweighs the impact of, uh, you know, of credit risk uh, at this point in time. But the stock market, I think, is, you know, as Stu would say, is relentlessly forward looking. And they're sort of looking through that that near term benefit of higher interest rates and starting to get a little bit more concerned about credit going forward. So the market may not, especially the TSX, may not be as cheap as it appears. So we're sort of waiting for some of these estimate revisions to sort of normalize before we can get really uh, excited about the risk reward for Canada. So, so you know, I, I just look at uh, I've, I've just got my my computer up here, and I'm looking at at various commodity prices. So, oil down from 125 to 85 as as we're recording this today. Copper from five down to 340, five five dollars to three dollars and forty cents. Uh, natural gas uh, peaked in around ten bucks in in, uh, in in the towards the end of August and sitting under five dollars. So that's fifty percent down. You know, are these energy? We we talked about, you know, even with with you know before we hit those high prices on on all those commodities, you know, the energy companies and mining companies being able to do very very well even at an eighty five dollar oil price or five dollar natural gas price, three fifty copper. Um, but but I guess that takes a lot of that upside out of it. And, and have we really seen the worst of the downside in the commodity prices if we are heading into a recession? Yeah, that's a, it's a good point. I mean, predicting the, uh, you know, where commodity prices are going, that's a very difficult exercise. Not, you know, we have to be very sort of aware and cognizant of commodity prices and markets because that's a big part of the Canadian equity backdrop. But that's not a skill set that we would claim to have uh, you know the the direction of oil uh, is is uh, it's a it's a really difficult thing to uh, to predict. So a couple of things that we sort of take into consideration. I think we've talked about you know our process is to build scenarios. Right, we can't predict, so we prepare. So we think about what is the you know what's a bad case look like and what's a a good case look like. And 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 for for commodities, it's tricky because you know and I'll, I'll sort of zero in on the energy companies. You know, these companies are actually, you know, while we're concerned about, you know, what happens to the oil price in a recession, the companies themselves, and this is a, a more than a this year um, dynamic that's played out. It's something that's sort of taken place over the last number of years is they're in much better shape than they've pretty much ever been in terms of balance sheet um, and just discipline around how they're spending cash flow. You know, we had a chart that we were sharing um you know, with, uh, with clients, uh, you know, showing, you know, the last time oil was in the 80 to a hundred dollar range, the oil companies were spending and, you know, allocating a majority of that cash flow towards building new assets, growing production, uh, that, that would have been in the sort of the 08, 09 timeframe or the 20, you know, 12 to 14 timeframe. And you would have been building my, uh, oil sands mines, uh, adding shale production, uh, et cetera. But and, and they would have been allocating very small amounts to of their cash flow towards things like dividends or share buybacks. It, it, dividends would have been small. Share buybacks would have been minuscule, if, if not zero. Fast forward to today when we have 80 or $100 oil, um, the allocation of that cash flow going towards building new production is, is quite small. 
And instead, what they're doing is they're building, uh, they're allocating that that cash flow towards shareholder returns, giving it back to shareholders, getting their balance sheets in shape, um, and getting uh, and returning uh, that cash to shareholders, dividends, share buybacks, special dividends, variable dividends. Um, you know, so just really trying to show that discipline. So. You know, it's 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 sort of a tricky thing to predict how how things will play out because on one hand, um, uh, you know these companies are in are in fantastic financial shape. So if the oil price does correct in the face of a recession, uh, they've sort of put themselves in a really good position to not get you know hurt by it too much. And uh, and on the other hand, if oil prices stay high, I think they're going to continue to return to shareholders. And then actually, that adds a little an extra wrinkle. Is that the you know you've probably heard people talk about it the significant amount of underinvestment um, yes. that's going towards replacing uh, oil production. So you're, that's what's causing the price to be high. Is that we've you know I think I talked about it in a previous uh, podcast where the price was sending a signal to suppliers or producers to add more supply and they just weren't going to. And and then what happened when you had the events of the Russian Ukraine? And you're taking even more supply potentially out of the market. That's that that caused that that price to spike, and that actually would you know that's sort of a a, a very early clue or sign of a recession risk because you're sort of spiking prices to destroy demand. Yeah. Um, and so while they're they're in a really good position uh, today, if we were to go down to a, um, you know an economic recession or slowdown to some extent. That that will impact oil demand and 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 impact price. Hard to say whether if eighty is the new fifty or sixty is the new forty. Those are things that are too hard for us to predict. But you do have that the supply demand imbalance is is very tight. Um, and so if you have a recessionary event, you will impact demand, but you're you're not seeing the supply come on. So there in a recession, there is downside to the oil price for sure. And and I think these stocks could come under pressure, but they're in much better shape to withstand that pressure than they have in the past. So 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 the Canadian market, in in essence, particularly in the first part of the year, benefited um, from that overexposure to to energy and material sectors, those cyclical sectors. Uh, as those prices have fallen off in the second half of the year, as interest rates rise, anticipation economic slowdown. Now we've started to move with with the U.S. market. I know in your portfolios, you've benefited greatly from from having that exposure to those cyclicals uh, through the first half of the year. And then again, it, they're just acting in line with everything else. So you've continued to do really, really well. How do you have the portfolio position now as it, it becomes more and more likely that we see that significant economic slowdown? Uh, and 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 how do you anticipate we go through the you know the last part of 2022 and into early 2023 in Canadian equities? Yeah, it's it's, it's tricky. We've sort of moved. I would call it fairly neutral for you know, and it's not another exciting position to be in. But we're sort of in <laughs> that we're sort of in that um, in between phase. I think you know if I if I were to you know go back to the beginning of the year, which I know it's only October, but if I think about January, February, it feels like a long time ago. So this is perhaps <laughs> yes. one of the longest years uh, on record. I call it a dog year, but um, you know, we we would have been in, you know, forecasting. Um, you know, our base case would have been a normal economic recovery from the pandemic. Uh, our bear case would have been maybe a slower than expected um, economic recovery, and uh, the bull case would have been sort of a uh, reopen you know, wide open kind of uh, reopening type trade. 
we've had to revise those forecasts, you know, a bit as we, you know, things, the facts have changed throughout the year. So our bear case is, you know, a recession, not, not a severe one, but a, a fairly mild one. Our base case is maybe not a soft landing. It feels like that's a little bit off the table, but it's more of a skate through, get by without a major, you know, nothing bad happens, but we do slow down. And then our bull case is sort of uh, what we would recall like the, or refer to as like the recovery scenario. Not something that we're really calling for, you know, in the near term, but if we do go down the path of an economic slowdown, bear case, you know, uh, mapping towards more towards the bear case, you need to leave that recovery scenario out there so that, you know, to remind ourselves that there is a prize on the other side. Uh, so, you know, what, you know, we're, we're kind of neutral. We earlier in the year, we shifted uh, some of our cyclical exposure um, in some of those sectors that you, you talked about uh, closer to sort of neutral and uh, just in, you know, in a response to, you know, worry about a recession. And, you know, what's great about the stock market is that, uh, you know, you don't have to be able to predict the future, but you just have to understand the scenarios that are being discounted. We felt earlier in the year, recession scenario was not being sort of, you know, there wasn't enough respect being paid, paid to that scenario. And now we're sort of starting to discount it more. So things are becoming more interesting. But the challenge is the sectors that are looking more attractive to us from a risk reward perspective, one, they still have downside. And two, they're typically those, those sectors that we talked about. So we kind of reduced our exposure to energy financials, um, you know, sort of earlier in the year. And they're looking more attractive, but those aren't typically the sectors you want to be buying as you head into an economic slowdown. As we sort of move through it and get deeper into it, the risk reward uh, has the potential to be very attractive in those sectors, but it seems a bit early to be looking at them. So, you know, and again, I, I've probably talked about, you know, our, our skill is not so much in predicting these macro type things, recession or not, oil up, oil down. We're really in security selection, stock picking. So, we're, you know, we every day uh, we're continuously sort of looking at the portfolio for, you know, risk, attractive risk reward opportunities in company specific outcomes, which we have a, at least a better shot of, of, uh, of getting right. And then just sort of managing our exposure to the macro factors just to make sure that we don't get caught offside on it. So uh, I wish I had a more crystal clear answer, but the future is not that clear. So you know, we're fairly neutral from those macro factors, but looking for always looking for stock opportunities to to take advantage of. It, it, it's typically what differentiates a professional investor from a, a, a retail investor uh, in, in approach and that stock picking capability across a broad range of sectors. But, but I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about something I've been reading a lot about this week. Uh, and for those who've been listening to the, the podcast, I spent a lot of time over the last two, three months with realtors across Canada and the impact of the overinflated Canadian housing market. So even if you look at other housing markets around the world, a lot of people from outside Canada would suggest that the Canadian market is perhaps the most extremely valued housing market. And, and again, we're not going to, as, as you've already said, we're not, you're, you're not going to have a base prediction that housing prices drop 10%, 15%, 20% through this, but clearly housing is going to come under pressure. What does that do to the, to the, to the financial sector uh, as, as we look into 2023? Rates are going up, but, but housing is tough. Yeah, it's my least favorite subject. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> we, we have to be aware of it given that, uh, 
it's a big part of our it's a big part of our economy and it's not just you know it's for, for a lot of canadians it's probably your your most valuable asset um it's the biggest part of your sort of net worth you know portfolio so it's 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 very near it's where you live so it's always uh it always tugs on on emotional um you know people's emotions which is always dangerous when you're when you're trying to make pragmatic investment decisions uh it's it's challenging because you know the the change in the rate environment has has severely impacted uh you know buying power you know the your ability to borrow and what you know what you can afford to borrow so that's that sort of really impacted the the price at which people are you know can afford um most in most basic terms so that's one piece and then and then from us you know the selling if you're a seller of a house uh you're still sort of anchored towards some of these more recent transactions uh when i sort of say recent like the transactions are the last six to my six to 12 months which haven't reflected that change in in uh in buying power purchasing power uh from 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 the buying side so you have a disconnect there. So you have, you've seen some price, uh, correct. You've seen a significant drop off in volumes and you're sort of in this waiting period. What is risky is the, is, you know, people don't have, if you, if you wanted to sell your house and you were able to get a price sort of within what you saw in the last six to 12 months, you may do it. If you don't see that price and you don't have to sell, you won't sell your house. So that's why you've seen the volumes drop off. What I worry about is a scenario in where you get into an economic situation, uh, recession, you know, job loss, those, those type of things that sort of tie into economic slowdowns. And if people are forced to sell their house, now you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to go into where the buyers, that's where the bid ask spread collapses and your, the, the selling price will actually have to go and you'll see price and volume, which is not going to be good, uh, for a number of, uh, participants. And then, so that's, that's one scenario that we're worried about where you have distressed selling and, and, you know, that, that, that has fault knock on effects. And then I guess the other thing too, is just the service costs of, uh, you know, variable rate mortgages. You've, you know, there's, I don't need to sort of go over this, but the, the, uh, there's a, there's a lag effect of, you know, these variable rate mortgages. So the, the bank of Canada's raised rates, but the rubber and the rubber has hit the road in a few places, but not fully. So we have to sort of factor that into the equation and, and, you know, how much debt do people have and how much variable debt, you know, lines of credit, et cetera. And, and that, you know, you, you, you know, if you're looking at bank balance sheets, you know, the, the loan books are, are quite robust, but uh, it's, and, and the capital positions are very strong, but the, you know, directionally, if there is stress, uh, that's not going to work out well, uh, both for the, you know, the earnings profile is you have to take reserves and the stocks, I think, are just going to get worried about it. And the stock market will express that worry through lower prices. So you have a couple of things to offset it. One, you have, you know, people had built up quite a bit of savings through the pandemic. So you're able to withstand some of that. But we're chewing through that with higher interest rates, higher inflation, gas prices, food prices. A lot of that is savings, those excess savings. We're, we're chewing through that rather rapidly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to that's gonna hit the, the road at some point. And uh and we have not seen any um, any job loss. You know, the unemployment rates are still fairly low. So if we start to see, you know, those typical uh, sort of markers of economic slowdown or recession, unemployment starts to go up. Um, you know, we've we've worked through the savings. 
uh, job loss, et cetera, people are maybe forced to sell their homes or the carrying costs are a lot harder. That is going to cause a lot of stress. That stress will show up in a number of places in our economy. The banks will be one because you will see uh, credit uh, risk rising, loan growth slowing, et cetera. So, uh, and that that's a scenario that I don't think is reflected. Like bank stocks are off from their highs and they're trading at very cheap multiples, but the estimates haven't come down and we haven't started to discount uh, a stressful scenario for the banks, uh, you know, really in a, in, a, in a big way. So that's what I mean. That's a great example of some of these more cyclical parts of the market, economically sensitive parts of the market. They have, they have some downside, downside risk still to, to, to more fully reflect uh, that scenario, which I'm not predicting as an outcome, but it is a potential outcome and that we need to be mindful of. And, and something you need to be mindful of. You, you, you said it's your least favorite topic, but that's probably the best explanation that I've heard of what's going on in the housing market and the impact that it has, uh, per- particularly on, on Canadian bank stocks. So once again, you, you blew it away. So I, I, uh, when I'm out in Vancouver next week, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll buy you coffee and, of course, a, a sausage roll at, a, at our favorite bakery. I'll bring the HP sauce, and we'll have uh, we'll have a, we'll have a lovely uh, coffee and snack together in the rain. Uh, Sounds great. The weather's yeah. turning there. Yeah, the rain is back here in Vancouver, so uh, coffee and sausage roll couldn't couldn't think of a better combo for a rainy day. Excellent, Scott. Well, thanks. Uh, great catching up with you. I, I, I know you've had uh, just a tremendous year on a relative perspective uh, in terms of the portfolios you're running. So, congrats on that, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Dave. This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management, Inc. for informational purposes only and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.